What's up? Welcome to Forefront 360, where we take you all around the intersection of the arts and the Christian faith. I'm Cody Schweikert in studio here. We Boys, we are in uh, Forefront headquarters here, world headquarters, global headquarters. This is exciting. We've got uh, brand new audio equipment here. We feel like uh, children on Christmas Day. Merry belated, by the way. Um, Hopefully you can hear the difference already. We just, yes. I'm sure we sound just beautifully silky smooth with this new equipment. I'm so excited to be here. I think we could talk about absolutely nothing this whole episode, and it's going to be your favorite episode of all time, just because the quality of the sound is just, yeah. it glorifies God, the quality of the sound does. It's going to sound so good. Okay. Excellence. Excellence and only. Um, I'm here, again, I'm Cody Schweikert. I'm here with uh, my boys, Nate Mancini, Rich Christman. Hello. Hello. And uh, we're going to do a little arts review. So, Nate, what have you been enjoying lately, my man? Thanks. Yeah. So I've been enjoying some podcasts recently and I know you guys are actually listening to our podcast right now. We really appreciate that. Uh, please do subscribe to Forefront 360. We love having you guys as listeners, but in the spirit of, you know, being a Christian and being giving and, uh, and, and just sharing with others, I thought that this would actually be an interesting time to pitch some other podcasts that I've been listening to lately. And instead of just telling you, Hey, go subscribe to these different podcasts. I wanted to actually tell you a few episodes that I found interesting. So it'll give you a chance to go to these other podcasts and just listen to the episodes that I recommend here and it'll just give you a flavor of it. It'll let you see, okay, is this something that interests me that I'd want to listen to more of? So I'm just going to throw out a few episodes for you. The first one, um, I've talked before about the podcast Cooper and Carrie Have Words. Our good friend Barry Cooper does this. He was at Forefront 2017 and uh, his friend James Carey over in England. They do this amazing uh, discussion podcast. There's a recent episode of this podcast that I really liked. It's called Episode 69, He's Got This. And it's, it's a great episode because in it, uh, James Carey interviews the fascinating Ian Paul about the much misunderstood book of Revelation. And Ian Paul says that it's actually the most Christian book of Scripture, which I think is, is fascinating and surprising uh, to a lot of people. And Ian Paul then delves into Revelation and tells us more about it. And so I think it's just a great episode for just understanding the book of Revelation more, appreciating it more, and learning some new things. Quick quote from this episode, Ian Paul says, The reason why Revelation is so strange to us is because we don't know the Old Testament characters and we don't know the first century mythology. And when we understand those, Revelation becomes engaging and it becomes familiar. Because what it's actually doing is saying, God made the world, humanity has turned from him, humanity constructs these empires which make the claims that only God can make, that they bring peace and prosperity and we should give total loyalty to them. And it says, no, the one who brings peace and prosperity is not the emperor, it's not the latest political system, it's not Marxism or free market economics, the one who brings peace and prosperity is God. And therefore, all these other human constructions do not deserve your loyalty. God does. And God does because the lamb has been slain for us and is now raised for us. And he's the one who's been a faithful witness and calls us to be the same. So I love that. I love how Ian talks about Revelation. And uh, it's just fascinating to me. And it was a way that I got to learn a little bit more about it. So check out that episode. He's got this from Cooper and Carrie. Have words. The next episode I want to mention for you is an episode of Between Dreams with Chris Ruggiero. He did an episode, it's called Episode 84, 
Isaac Dietz. And so he did this interview with our friend Isaac Dietz. Isaac also came to Forefront 2017. He's an amazing uh, Christian and filmmaker. So this episode is an interview that Chris does with Isaac. And I love it because in this episode, they talk about what it's like to be a filmmaker who wants to be a part of the larger filmmaking community, to give of your talents, to not be insular and have kind of a scarcity mindset and say, I'm going to keep all my tips and tricks to myself, but to be somebody who is someone who gives and someone who wants to share, someone who wants to draw other people in to help other people be successful and how if we all do that, uh, specifically for them, it's in the, talking about the filmmaking community, then it makes everybody's art better and it's it makes the whole community better. It's an, It's a better place to be and it allows us to make great art. So I think that's a really great conversation. I love the stuff Isaac says about that, and I think that it goes beyond just the filmmaking community. I think it's a conversation that applies to all artistry, and as Christians, I think we need to be thinking about the ways that we can be giving and sharing with our art, and the way that Isaac does that with filmmaking, the way that he reaches out and shares his ideas and capabilities, the way he's always teaching people who are up and coming into the in- industry is really cool. Um, so check out that episode. It's called Episode 4, Isaac Dietz, and it's with the podcast Between Dreams with Chris Ruggiero. And finally, uh, recently I've been connecting more with the Anselm Society. They actually have a lot of interesting connections to Forefront in terms of their mission and the things that they're trying to achieve. So check out the Anselm Society. They're a great organization at the intersection of, of Christianity and the arts. And they have a podcast called Redeemed Imagination, I just listened to their podcast on Father Christmas, which is their most recent episode at the time of this recording. And they just have a great uh, conversation about Father Christmas and his role in C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and whether or not it makes sense that Father Christmas is is in that story and J.R.R. Tolkien's thoughts about that and just who Father Christmas is. And they go in to talk about uh, archetypes and symbolism and how all that works together. I just thought it was a great conversation, helped me to understand a bit more uh, different philosophies of, of writing, uh, that, that Lewis and Tolkien had different ways that they approached the ideas of archetypes and how specifically they tried to realize those in their stories and how Lewis had this slightly kind of looser understanding of what he could do and wanted to do. And Tolkien was a little bit more stringent about the rules that he had for himself and, and other authors about how those archetypes came into his stories. And so I think it's a great conversation. It helps you to understand that better and also helps you to realize uh, just, just the magic that Lewis and Tolkien have brought into their stories um, and, and the ways that they've put these archetypes into them, people like Father Christmas. And of course, just coming out of the Christmas season, that's a really fun thing to remember. So hope you'll check that out. It's the Father Christmas episode of Redeemed Imagination from the Anselm Society. So those are just a few recent podcast episodes I, I'd recommend you check out. And there are some episodes that I think are, are squarely at the intersection of the arts and the Christian faith, which is the stuff that we love. Sweet, dude. Could you, real quick, with the name of the shows, real quick? Absolutely. So the shows are Cooper and Carrie Have Words, Between Dreams with Chris Ruggiero, and Redeemed Imagination. Sweet. Thanks, bro. Richard Chrisman, my good sir. Hi. Uh, scholar, gentleman, uh, enthusiast of coffee. NT, what do you have uh, for us today? Well, I'm at least one of those things, but um, 
<laughs> I'll leave Which it to you listeners to figure that out. <laughs> but um, yeah, today, uh, what I want to talk to you guys about is Australia. Um, if you're listening to this episode uh, in January of 2020, uh, you're probably hearing a lot about Australia right now, but uh, because of the unprecedented brush fires that are causing a lot of damage there, um, it's been in the news a lot. If you've been following us on uh, Instagram or Facebook, um, you'll see that um, kind of being inspired by other organizations highlighting uh, some of the greatest things that are in Australia and coming out of Australia. Um, the hope is kind of, you know, organizations are posting information to have, to kind of bring awareness of to, to people in America who never really think about Australia unless they're thinking about uh, the Hemsworth brothers or something uh, <laughs> to be like, okay, what is down under there? And I think that um, one thing that really gets very little uh, airtime in our society, in the United States at least, is Australian art. I mean, yeah. um, I took art history at multiple levels in high school and college and a little bit in grad school. And I don't think we talked about Australian art once um, mm. in all that time. And I think that's a real shame because there's some fantastic art in Australia. Um, so if I'm going to take some time, uh, instead of giving you guys an entire treatise on the history of Australian art, I'll just pick one uh, particular era to kind of just tune your, your eyes and ears to. you got to start somewhere. Exactly. So um, I realized that, uh, so I want to go to the beginning. And when I say the beginning, uh, I want to highlight that I'm, I'm going to talk about the beginning of a Western art tradition in Australia. Obviously, there is art in Australia that is thousands of years older than any Western tradition, um, being the Aboriginal um, art from Australia. That is beautiful and fantastic. And you should look at all the old Aboriginal art as well. Uh, especially they have fascinating cave stuff that's from, mm. I think, 10,000 years before uh, Western discovery of Australia, which is so interesting. One thing that I just has, it's since I first heard about it, it's been something that's very interesting to me is called the Heidelberg School. So this is kind of the beginning of Western art in Australia. Look this up. Um, Heidelberg sounds a little German, Austrian, but actually yeah. Australian. So Heidelberg is now a suburb of Melbourne in Victoria, Australia. Melbourne. Is, yeah, Melbourne. Melbourne. This is why it's called uh, the Heidelberg School, because the painters come from that spot. But this is an Australian art movement that came in the late 19th century, like 1890 and forward. Um, and it's been called like now in the present day, it's often referred to as Australian impressionism and the artists that you need to look up. And I mean, you can just Google these people. You can look at them on Wikipedia. You can, you know, whatever medium you want to use, but look up Charles Condor, Arthur Streeton and Frederick McCubbin. So all three Good of these names. are yeah, Good fantastic. Names. Good wow. Aussie names. Um, I'm sure they sound very different in Australian accents. I wish I could do that for you. But um, Condor, Charles Condor, C-O-N-D-E-R, Arthur Streeton, S-T-R-E-E-T-O-N, and Frederick McCubbin. McCubbin is M-C-C-U-B-B-I-N. I am McCubbin. Mm -hmm. So um, these are just three of many of the painters from the Heidelberg School. Um, but one thing that's just really awesome about it is, so they, they took inspiration from Impressionism that was happening in Europe and in North America, um, and they not only were kind of doing their own particular spin on Impressionism in Australia, but they chose to use colors that they thought were emblematic of the natural color scheme of Australia. Mm. And as soon as you look at these paintings, if you haven't had the pleasure to see them before, you'll see this to be true they use tons of golds and red and orange juxtaposed with 
um, like very strong, like sky blues and mm. kind of like a tropical green and things like that. And uh, you could see right away, like if you had these impressionist pieces up against, say, French impressionist pieces, I think it would be very clear without even reading who did them or knowing what the subject is. You would you could tell something different about those. They mm -hmm. definitely look, you that's know. That's cool. Yeah, and I think that's really awesome. Like even um, based on the color palette. Yeah, just the color. Not even discussing the content of the images, which is, of yeah. course, um, I mean. Crocodiles and such. Right. Um, no, but most of Impressionism, you know, globally uh, in that time period was um, kind of pastoral landscapes or mm -hmm. like gardens, like a lot of natural scenes, but then also scenes of people in natural settings. So yeah. um, in an example of Australian Impressionism, um, there's a lot of paintings. Um, Streeton has some really cool ones of um, Australian people in like markets in Melbourne and Sydney and whatnot. And you can see um, they really capture not only the historical period of um, and Australia that is kind of on the cusp of, you know, kind of at the at the apex of the bell curve of shifting from a prison colony to a, you know, a federation within the British Commonwealth with its own identity and its own dignity and its own culture and all that. And you can see that um, pretty well displayed in these paintings. Um, it's pretty cool because now in present day art criticism and art history, um, these painters, these men from the Heidelberg School are considered kind of the beginning of a stream of Western art coming out of Australia and the Australian region. So including New Zealand and um, even like the Polynesian islands or sometimes uh, Micronesian islands are kind of coupled into this, uh, like this mm -hmm. dawn of movement, which is really cool. Um, they also paint, um, there are many of these men paint Aboriginal subjects, um, which is really interesting because other than the paintings of um, Paul Gagan, like the French painter who painted a lot of, um, Polynesian settings and people, um, kind of other than that, there wasn't really, you know, in the Western image at the time, um, Aboriginal people were not considered to have, uh, to be dignified enough to, to sit for mm. painting. Mm. And so I think it's really, the Australians were really, um, ahead of the curve in the West. Yeah. Uh, and it, this is shameful for us in Americans and Europeans, but I think it's pretty cool that when you see that they were um, painting Aboriginal subjects with like great care and dignity mm -hmm. in the mid 19th century, late 19th century, I think that's pretty cool. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so definitely look at uh, the Heidelberg School, uh, those three painters. There's many more than those three, but those are the three that I particularly like their paintings a lot. You can see um, we've already posted one of them on Instagram as of the date of this recording. There'll be a couple more up there. So if you uh, want the ease of just checking the Instagram or the Facebook to as a jump point to look at these painters, uh, please do that. At Forefront Fest on Instagram. Yeah. One, uh, just one final thing. If paintings aren't really your uh, cup of tea and your, but you still want to, you know, kind of dive into Australia's artistic history a little bit. Um, if writing or music is more your thing, kind of the literary branch of this Heidelberg School um, era beginning of Western art in Australia. Um, we now call either the bulletin school, like, like the word bulletin, B U L L E T I N or the bush poems. These are both considered the mm. same thing. So while, um, Streeton and McCubbin and these guys were painting at the same time, there were a number of what are we now called the bush poets. And it's <laughs> ironic because when you think of like 
the word bush, you think of people like out in the outback, you know, mm-hmm. camping and cooking beans and writing folk songs and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And there definitely is that that element to it. But um, the reason why they're called the bush poems is because the British were so haughty that any poems coming out of Australia oh are from gosh. the bush, which is actually quite interesting. And now, um, like people that are, you know, like uh, scholars of Australian arts kind of use that title with pride like now em- yeah yeah, yeah like the, bu- the bush poets and it even it brings kind of this uh almost like a traditional uh romance like a traditional masculinity to mm-hmm. the to the era which is interesting like similar wow. to jack london uh right. in like the american canadian sphere which is really interesting now that's not to say that some of the bush poets the content of some of the bush poets poetry is not of the bush or of the sure, outback sure, like there yeah. certainly is that but um many of their poems would be uh, Content-wise, would be indistinguishable from British, right. British or American poetry at that time, yeah. uh, which is interesting. And I also think uh, one thing that's been talked about a lot when looking at these poets. So I'll give you two names for example: um, Henry Lawson, Lawson, L-A-W-S-O-N, and Adam Lindsay Gordon, Gordon, G-O-R-D-O-N. Um, both of them are names that stick out to me. I've read a lot of their poems, and they're really cool. Um, but one thing that a lot of critics, it's interesting, like when you read kind of modern or not modern, but even uh, I guess postmodern, like 1960s and forward criticism of the Bush poets, um, there's often a lot of similarity drawn between um, Australian writing in the late 1800s and American writing in the same time in the Old West. So it's like interesting where there's these um, like San Francisco is a developed and cosmopolitan city in 1890, but you know, just a few miles outside of San Francisco, there's still cowboys, you know? Right. And, and this kind of an interesting, I just think that for, um, many of our listeners are American and I think that the, there's for us Americans, I think there's a really interesting parallel between like our own history west of the Mississippi and the development of Australia. And I just mm-hmm. think that's pretty cool. Yeah. So, um, Take some time. Uh, if you've never delved into any art that came out of Australia, uh, especially in the in the early days, late uh, 19th century, give that a check. Um, pretty cool. So again, the Heidelberg School of Painters and the Bush Poets, or the Bulletin School of Poets and Writers. Nice. nice. Wow. Thanks, thanks, Rich. Thanks for sharing. Uh, listeners, we have a special surprise for you when we began this episode. Uh, it was me... Nate and Rich. We were and but the three musketeers. We were but and now we've got some straggler cramping our style. He's found his way over uh, he, he found his way over on the sofa here in Forefront Headquarters. He's got this microphone. He missed the training session, so I don't know if he knows how to use it. But um We shall see. Where where he lacks with his technical skills, he makes up for with his brains. And so we are uh gonna hear from Sean. Welcome. Thanks for showing up, man. I you know Better late than never. Yeah, man. You were only, I mean, I make a big deal, but really you were only like 45 minutes late, which isn't, you know. Yeah. I thought it was 43. Yeah. Well, it's close. It, it was significant. I'll Round say up. that. But I, I'm glad you're here, Sean. And this better be good is all I have to say. <laughs> I mean, in some cultures, being 45 minutes late is still early. So That's true. We'll count that. I'm in the bush. A year, in the bush. In the bush. Basically, basically like a year early, early to the next podcast. You're do. right. You're right. <laughs> um. Before I get into the thing that I was going to share about, you were talking about Jack London. I recently read uh, To Build the Fire. Have you ever read this? Oh, story? yeah. I love that. Every time it gets cold, I'm just like, <laughs> better build I got, a fire. I got to read build that. A fire. <laughs> yeah. Got to read that story. Um, so, yeah, the thing that I wanted to talk about was just a quick little um, 
survey. I so I recently got the opportunity to um, travel to London and uh, some other places in the UK, and um, it was really it was an amazing opportunity because I had some free time. I was able to go visit some uh, museums, some galleries. Um, but the the Did place you see that, any Australian art there? What's that? Did you see any Australian <laughs> art there? Not not that I that I that I could see, oh, but I'm sure shame. there was some. I did go to the British Museum, so there's obviously art. I'm from sure there was some all there. over the place. Oh, the British Museum is amazing. Yeah. Um, so there there's it's kind of overwhelming all the stuff that like hits you in a place like the, the British Museum or um, the Fitzwilliam Museum in Cambridge is really amazing. Um, but the thing that stood out to me mostly because of the experience that I had there was St. Paul's Cathedral. I was able, actually able to go there two times. Um, I went there with our friend Alistair, who's been on the podcast before, and um, he lives pretty close to London, like a few, just a few hours, so he was able to come down. And Is this Alistair Roberts? Alistair Roberts, yep. Oh, great. Mm. Nice. Um, and so he met me in London. We went to the British Museum, and then we went to um, St. Paul's for a little bit, and it turned out that they were actually doing the Evensong service that night, so we were able to go there and experience that. Oh, that's so good. And uh, and then I found out this is right around Christmas time. So I found out that they were doing a a, a Christmas service, basically a Christmas celebration there. And uh, so I was able to go back the next day, went by myself, and uh, there was just some amazing um, uh, choral music that they sang, and had some really cool Christmas readings and some scripture readings. Um, so that was one of the things that captured for me the importance of this place was I ended up the next day I went to the Imperial war rooms where Churchill and his mm. cabinet kind of like ran yeah. the war for a, a big chunk of it. And in the portion of the museum that is dedicated to Churchill, there's actually a speech that he, they have like some recordings of his speeches and there's a speech that he gave outside of the cathedral during the blitz in, in the war. And he had basically told them to like, create a fire barrier because a lot of the city was burning. A lot of the city was getting bombed and he had said, we have to save the church. And so there's this really um, amazing speech that he gives standing out in front of this church and they have a picture paired with it. You're kind of stands one spot, looking at the wall, listening to the speech and you can see there's just like destruction and desolation around the church, but they had gone to such great lengths to preserve mm -hmm. this church because of the symbolism and how it you know represented their national identity and their connection with this place. Um, so, it, and Churchill does a, obviously does a brilliant job of capturing the spirit that they're going to have mm -hmm. um, oh. throughout the war and stuff like that. But mm -hmm. I just thought that that captured so well, like what the church was, what it meant to the city, what it meant to the country as they were going through this, this thing. And it speaks to the, um, the ordering and um, inspiring power of art, even in, in the midst of some of these situations. Yeah. Still one of the most iconic things in the London skyline, right? Yeah. 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 That's cool. Mm. It's a, it's a huge church. So I got to ask, just, did the war room still smell like cigars and brandy <laughs> or has that gone away? No, but they, they did play these little recordings where you would hear somebody walking down the hall oh, whistling cool. and that's great. Uh -huh. um, they do have kind of a unique smell to them. I mean, because they yeah. are underground. And so there is kind of a smell. You're like, this is different. It's kind of like when you go in a submarine or something. And you're sure. Like, you're like touring a submarine. And Which we've all like, done. Every that. time I'm <laughs> in a submarine, like, I think of <laughs> the war rooms. Gosh. We've, we've lived such grand lives, it's, each of us. That, that could be a subpar experience. But um, <laughs> oh, didn't. Oh, where's our sound effect? 
Thank you. <laughs> nice. The rim shot. Yeah, yeah by awesome. the way, we have sound effects now if you didn't catch on to that yet. <laughs> We're still learning. <laughs> that applause before was a real crowd, though. This it is before was. a live stream. Yeah, that was, right. yeah that's, <laughs> that was that, that's live. <laughs> yeah, that's, oh, be quiet. Be quiet, you guys. We're trying to record a show here. We've got 500 people around us right now. Um, yeah. All right. So, Sean, are you, is that, is that wrap it up? That was, that, that was what thank I you. to share. It that was, was nice. It was a cool, it was a cool experience. Really glad Beautiful you stumbled places. in here. I'm glad you <laughs> found your way over here. All right. So. Better um, late than never. That's right. Uh, I had so many things I want to talk about uh, today, but I'm going to, I'm going to save one of them. I've got a book I want to recommend and discuss, but um, two things. I saw two amazing films this weekend. Nice. Okay. I saw, and I'm not a film expert, so I'll, I'll be brief here. But I saw 1917 yesterday. Um, yep. Everybody's, that, was, that was amazing. Everybody's talking about it. You see it, Sean? Yeah, it was amazing. I'm just like, so personally, I am, I'm going through a tough season in life right now, in, in all seriousness. It's, it's, been a rough, uh, it's been a rough ride the last month or so. Um, some serious family stuff going on and, and faith crises and just, um, it's been a hard time. And so uh, I went to see this film um, and... It was the most, oh, I, I don't know how to even talk about it because it felt so important. Like I was talking to Nate before we started recording and there was just this like moment of silence when the credits rolled and the whole theater was just kind of silent for like 15 seconds. Mm-hmm. And it was just like the, the weight of that film and that story um, obviously takes place in 1917, World War One. No spoilers here. I'm not going to, I'm not going to discuss much of the plot or anything, but don't tell us who died. I won't. Um, People do die. It's a war, but um, yet just there are just moments where um, these dudes are on a mission and they just are so close to like giving up and they've gone through so much pain and anguish and it's been such a hard mission and they're so close to giving up, but they just keep one step at a time. They keep going and um, it's just a story of endurance and uh, I've been so... I can't, I can't stop thinking about it the last couple of days. And, um, you've probably heard anything about the film. You've heard that it's kind of one continuous shot. So even from a cinematography perspective, it's really a unique experience. Um, even if you're not like me, kind of more of an amateur watcher of films, you still notice that it's special and, um, there's something different about it. Just one, uh, a golden globe for, I don't know if they call it best picture of the golden globes. Do they? I don't know, but, um, yeah, it, it's incredible. It's an incredible movie. Um, but I saw an even better film today. Oh I know. My. And it's a, it's a indie film, a short called pastime. Um, Oh my, Oh my, I believe it's a 2015 film. Is that right? It's a 2015 film. It actually premiered at Forefront Festival 2015. Okay, so which is our first Forefront event ever. Oh my gosh, Pittsburgh, Five Pennsylvania, <laughs> Pittsburgh in the Berg. All right, mm-hmm. so uh, no, really, I watched this uh, just a few hours ago actually, and uh, it's about 20, 25 minutes long. Uh, mm-hmm. 2015 film uh, directed by Nate Mancini and Johnny Sikma. That's that right. right. Uh, Richard Christman's name pops up in the credits a couple of times. It does. Production I, uh, assistant. I drove the actors around all around Western New York. <laughs> okay. So, hey man, Rich it takes a like, village. Rich was the guy. He knew all the the hip local spots, and so he would like host the actors and the crew, and like take them out afterward and show them oh around. Oh my gosh! Everybody loved it. Rich so, is the man. So I'm not just talking about this because uh, my friends made the movie. I'm talking about it because it's. Obviously excellent. If you know anything about um, what Nate Mancini's about, he he 
he does good stuff, whether it's mowing the lawn or making a movie. I mean, everything he does is excellent. Grilling a steak. Grilling a steak. This man can grill a steak. So uh, the movie, so it's it's character driven. Um, This kid basically uh, has his passion for art and life kind of takes over as he grows up and he he loses his passion and his time for it. And he's kind of running a million miles an hour, jumping from one thing to the next and he can't keep he can't keep everything together. His, his life is kind of unraveling a little bit. And he meets this this young boy who is also artistic. And their kind of friendship is awesome and hilarious. Like, really, it's so funny and and pure and heartfelt. And it's not pretentious. And it's just like, um, I just absolutely loved it. And it made me want to uh, drop out of school, quit my job, and just go pursue uh, art. So, um yeah, I, I can't say enough m- Don't good stuff about Don't the best movies this. make you want to quit your job? They do. Like, I feel like there's a there's a trend there that when I walk out of a good movie, I'm like, why am I? Why am why I? Do I work what for am the I man? doing? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. What am I doing? Yeah. Like, what's the line? I, I wish I should have wrote the quote down, but it was so clever. Um, it was uh, the, the guy's running to work, the main character. His name is not Peter. That's the boy. James, James is running to work. And this boy, Peter's like something like, why are you wearing a tie? You know, my aunt says that's a construct of suicide, and, yep, right? Yep. And he goes, uh, James goes, I think you mean society, a construct of society. And he goes, yeah. the kid goes, what's the difference? <laughs> and I was just like, oh my gosh, my friend probably wrote that line. Like, wow, this, it just makes it so much better. Well, I can um, tell you the, the behind the scenes yeah, story. Please, please, so, yeah, please, please. So, some inside baseball. So I had written that scene and I had wrote it where the, this kid, uh, Peter, is, is calling out to the, the older guy, James, as, as James is running to work. And, um, and, and, and then I had written it where Peter's like, like, like ties are just a, a societal construct that, you know, my aunt says ties are just a societal construct. And I thought that was a, a great line, kind of mm-hmm. a funny line. It's like, you know, like this kid probably doesn't know the, what societal construct even means, right, right. but because his aunt said it, he's repeating it. And I thought mm-hmm. it was funny, but Johnny came up with this idea. We were co-writing the film and Johnny came up with the idea that, that he would actually have misunderstood his aunt and that, that Peter would have said, uh, <laughs> it's just a suicidal construct. <laughs> and then, so then hearing that, um, you know, there's James with, with like having to get his tie and it's kind of like this noose around him that's right. like almost like tightening around sure. his life. And, and, and so he's thinking like suicidal construct. Uh, I think he means societal construct, like try to correct it. And then Peter's just like, what's the, what's the difference? Right. Because he doesn't, he honestly doesn't know the difference between those two phrases. Um, uh, but for James, it's like, what is he, the he literally yeah. doesn't know what the difference oh my is. Gosh. And so Peter's actually wiser than him in that moment <laughs> without knowing that. Uh, it's yeah. it's just brilliant, and um, the dialogue is like uh, there's not a wasted word. Like every, and it it's 20 minutes long. It's a short, and I'm not super familiar with short films, but I was amazed at how full the story is. There's so much development. I mean, the first five minutes, there's only I think one line of dialogue, and you see the story just told visually of a boy who loves drawing, and he falls out of love with that because life happens and the gifts. Uh, he gets these gifts in the wall. It was just like, you got to see it. Um, so I don't know. Where can we, I, I won't say much more about it, but where can uh, listeners find this if they want to check it out, Nate? Sure, yeah. So it's available online for free on Vimeo. Vimeo is a, a video streaming site for filmmakers. You can go to vimeo.com slash Nate Mancini slash pastime. 
That's P-A-S-T-I-M-E. And that'll take you right to the video. You can watch it for free. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for making that, man. Sorry we've been friends for three years and I just finally watched it. What a bad friend. But Oh, man. Uh, Thanks for reviewing. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's always yeah. fun when like art comes back after you know, being dormant for a while, yeah. you know, we, Rich and I and Johnny and the others made, made that uh, back in, back in 2015. It's exciting to kind of have it come back and be relevant again. Yeah. I, I genuinely liked it. Um, if I didn't like it, I wouldn't have brought it up cause you know, I love you too much, but I, it was awesome as I expected. Thanks man. Um, yeah. Uh, any final words boys before we wrap this up? If you haven't already, if you're listening to forefront 360 and, uh, you, uh, it, we reference the fact that some of the art we've been talking about has been popping up on socials and whatnot. Uh, if you don't follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, go ahead and do that. That's Forefront Fest on Instagram. Give that a give that a look. Yeah, please do. Thank you. Uh, I'm Cody Schweikert here with the the Forefront team, and uh, thanks for listening, friends. Um, we are gonna be dropping some some new episodes soon. So uh, talk to you soon. Keep enjoying art to the glory of God. <laughs>